Thank you for joining us here at Brave Church. We hope our teaching inspires you. For more information about gathering times, events, and other resources, visit brave.church. Here's this week's talk. So how are you guys doing? You glad to be at church today? There we go. I just got to say, when you're into it, I get more into it. It's more fun for both of us. So church is a fun place. Uh, Colossians 4, 1 through 18. If you didn't get notes, raise your hand. And we have some incredible ushers that are there ready to give those to you. And uh, we're going to read our passage this morning. Starting in verse 1. Masters, provide your slaves with what is right and fair, because you know that you also have a master in heaven. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. And pray for us, too, that God may open a door for our message, so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ, for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly, as I should. Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. And let your conversation be always full of grace seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Titus will tell you all the news about me. He is a dear brother, a faithful minister, and a fellow servant in the Lord. I am sending him to you for the express purpose that you may know about our circumstances and that he may encourage your hearts. He is coming with Onesimus, our faithful and dear brother, who is one of you. They will tell you everything that is happening here. My fellow prisoner, Aristarchus, sends you his greetings, as does Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. You have received instruction about him. If he comes to you, welcome him. Jesus, who is called Justice, also sends greetings. And these are the only Jews among my coworkers for the kingdom of heaven. And they have proved a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you and a servant of Christ Jesus, sends greetings. He is always wrestling in prayer for you that you may stand firm in all the will of God, mature and fully assured. I vouch for him that he is working hard for you and for those at Laodicea and Hierapolis. That was a tricky one. Um, Our dear friend Luke, the doctor, and Demas send greetings. Give my greetings to the brothers and sisters at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. After this letter has been read to you, see that it is also read in the church of Laodiceans, and that you, in turn, read the letter from Laodicea. Tell Archippus, see to it that you complete the ministry you have received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting in my own hand. Remember my chains, and grace be with you. Would you pray with me this morning? God, I just pray for our time together. I pray that as we... As we receive your word, as we go into your word and look at what you were saying to these people thousands of years ago, that we would find what it is that you're saying to us today. God, I pray just for this room to be filled with your presence, that we would be open to what it is you say to us, that we would leave um, inspired, that we would leave changed, and that we would leave moved to action. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Well, for the last few months, we've been in this Colossians study, and we're finishing it today, chapter 4. And uh, for those of you who, are, who weren't here the last couple weeks, I just want to uh, recap a little bit and share kind of what we've been talking about. So there's been a lot going on in our world. I mean, we've had a lot of natural disasters, tragedy, Las Vegas, you know, the fires, right? So much going on. And many people have been anxious and even doing things to be prepared. 
Uh, one of our uh, one of my coworkers was telling me about how FEMA has a list on their website of things that you should get for your house to be prepared in the case of a natural disaster. And he was telling me that, that these last few weeks, they've been taking these packs and just getting um, them filled with supplies and things that will be useful uh, in, in the case of a natural disaster. And so they've got all this stuff that they can just grab and go. And so I was thinking about this and just considering, man, we, we pray that nothing like that will happen here in our valley. But what about the tragedies that we all face in life, like the unforeseen diagnosis or the death of a loved one too soon, or even just watching friends or people you care about make unwise decisions. As there's all of these personal tragedies that we face in life, and are we spiritually prepared? So real quick review. The first week, we talked about supernatural peace. And we talked about what does it look like to be filled with the peace of God, a peace that is independent of our circumstances, that isn't reflecting what's happening in the world or reflecting what's happening in our lives, but that we have a a peace that can ground us regardless of our circumstances. And then last week, Pastor Darren taught on a Christ-like attitude. What does it look like to, to have the attitude of Christ? to respond in situations the way Jesus would and to see things the way Jesus saw them. And so today, in our final message, we're going to look at what it is to be devoted to prayer. Colossians 4, in verse 2, Paul tells us, devote yourselves to prayer. Turn to the person next to you and say, are you devoted? Are you devoted? Prayer are you guys saying it? Are you? <laughs> it's like, <laughs> like, what are you guys saying? Uh, prayer is an essential component to following Jesus. It's like breathing. It's how we communicate to God. Yet many of us, if we examined our lives, we would probably have a hard time describing our prayer life with the word devotion. Like, devotion is a strong word. It sounds like, like someone who just took it to the next level. So let's explore this. Why is this? There's three main categories that I think a lot of us fall into when it, when it comes to our prayer life. One of them is routine. Okay, I had a bit of a personal crisis about a month ago. I came home and I told my wife, we have got to find a new dentist. I hate needles. And I went in for a filling. And this dentist, they, they try to make it really nice. Like They refer to it as a dental spa. So the, the chair's massage. I mean, guys, I have dental insurance. Like, I'm just going to find the nicest one I can, right? And so the, the, the chair's massage, and you, you get to fill out this list and check what you want. You can choose a scent for your room. Uh, you can get a blanket, which was a big mistake, because I get really nervous and start sweating while I'm in the chair. So I had this blanket on, and I'm just like, but there I am. And, and they're, they're numbing my mouth with the, with the big needle. And have you guys ever been getting a filling, and they numbed it, but you still feel it? Yeah, it's the worst. And so I, I told her right away, I'm like, hey, I, I can still feel it, which also sucks because then they have to bring the big needle out again, right? So this time, I took the iPod. Like, they have an iPod and headphones. And I'm like, well, maybe this will be better to music. And so I'm scrolling through the iPod, and the only song on the iPod is Don't Worry, Be Happy. Like, what, what kind of dentist does this? <laughs> 
It's like they know. So I'm, I'm turning it up, and I'm turning it up, and, and I'm still feeling it, but I'm too afraid to ask for the needle again. So I'm just like turning it up. And then, of course, I got to the point where I started praying, right? I'm praying because that's my routine. When I'm really afraid or when I'm going through something really hard, I pray. And that's a good thing to do. But there, there are a lot of routine reasons that we pray. We pray when we're, we're trying to find a parking spot. We pray before meals. We pray before bed. Or, or we pray when our team is losing, right? So there's all these reasons that we pray. But I don't think that that's what Paul's talking about when he talks about being devoted to prayer. For others, prayer's intimidating. I mean, we, it's, it's awkward, or, or we feel weird. We don't, we don't know how, or, or maybe we think we're not good at it. Or, or some of you, you might even feel like, man, how could God really care about this? Like, how could he really care about this thing? It matters to me, but does it, does it really matter to God? And then for others, man, we're, we're professional prayers, right? <laughs> like, we've got prayers memorized. We're teaching theology through our prayers. I mean, we just keep going and going because it can become a form of letting others know how spiritual you are, right? And so it's, it's amazing how, how quickly we can forget when we're praying that we're talking to God, not everybody else. So today, we're going to look at what a devoted prayer life is according to Jesus, And if you're here and you're not a follower of Jesus, we're so glad that you're here with us this morning. You're going to get a snapshot. I mean, we can't, we could never fully cover what prayer is in a Sunday morning, but you're going to get a snapshot of what we believe. And I just think it's worth noting that there are a lot of different views on prayer. And there are a lot of people that believe in praying to different things and praying in different ways. But today we're going to look at prayer according to Jesus. So as we begin this topic, I just want to give a basic definition, and it's in your notes. Prayer is an encounter and a conversation. Prayer is an encounter and a conversation. Timothy Keller writes in his book titled Prayer, the traditional forms of prayer, adoration, confession, and thanksgiving, and supplication are concrete practices as well as profound experiences. We must know the awe of praising his glory, the intimacy of finding his grace, and the struggle of asking his help, all of which can lead us to know the spiritual reality of his presence. Prayer then is both an awe and intimacy, struggle and reality. And I love this line, the struggle of asking his help. And then how he sums it up that it's awe and intimacy, struggle and reality. And this is what I see Paul getting at here in Colossians. He's recognizing the struggle. A devoted prayer life isn't something that comes naturally to us. For many of us, there's a struggle even to get started. So when Paul says, devote yourselves to prayer, what's he talking about? There's two key words in that verse that we're going to look more deeply at because it helps us understand the sense in which he's telling us to be devoted. So the first one is devote, translated from the Greek word proskiterio, meaning not a position or an appointment, but an action. Devotion is something that you apply yourself to. It's something that you give yourself to. This this word is speaking to the idea that if your life is devoted to prayer, then a pattern can be seen, a regular habit of turning to God, talking to him. And so we're going to get more to that in a minute, but I think it's really uh, interesting to know that this word for devotion is only in the New Testament 10 times, and half of them are in relationship to prayer. 
So what is this sense that he's talking about prayer? What kind of prayer is it? Is it conversational? Is it a declaration? The word translated to prayer here is from the Greek word proshu, and it's prayer in the sense of a petition. So Paul's talking about making prayer requests, and he's saying that, that to connect these two ideas, there should be a pattern of regularly coming to God and making requests. He's talking about a specific kind of praying. So what does it look like, and how do we know if we're doing it right? We're going to look at a parable found in Luke 18, where Jesus was teaching his disciples how to pray. And I love how Jesus taught, because sometimes he would give us specific instructions, but often he would tell a story, and we get to look at that story, find ourselves in that story, and, and, and attempt to make sense of that story. So what is he saying? Luke 18, uh, we're going to look at verses 1 through 8. Jesus says, uh, then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. He said, in a certain town, there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared what people thought. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with the plea, grant me justice against my adversary. For some time, he refused. But finally, he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care what people think, Yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she would eventually, so that she won't eventually come and attack me. I wonder if they laughed when they heard this, right? Like, so that she's not going to come and I'm going to give her what she wants so she doesn't come and attack me. And then the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God who brings about justice for his chosen ones, who cry out to him day and night, will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? So number one, if you're taking notes, prayer requires persistence. It requires persistence. Luke says Jesus told this story so that they would always pray and not give up. Uh, how many of you have seen the movie The Founder? It's, it's with uh, Michael Keaton. It's on Netflix now, and it's about the starting of McDonald's. And this guy, he wasn't a good guy, okay? He's, he's not a role model, but he was a cutthroat businessman, and he understood something that led to massive success. And there's this scene in the movie where, where he's giving a monologue, and he's summarizing uh, his life and his business career. And he says this. He says, now, I know what you're thinking, How does a 52-year-old over-the-hill milkshake machine salesman build a fast food empire with 16,000 restaurants in 50 states in five foreign countries with an annual revenue of in the neighborhood of 700 million? One word, persistence. Nothing in this world can take the place of good old persistence. Talent won't. Nothing's more common than unsuccessful men with talent. Genius won't. Unrecognized genius is practically a cliche. Education won't. Why, the world's full of educated fools. Persistence and determination alone are all powerful. So this guy's no role model, but neither was the judge in Jesus' story. And I think that that's kind of the point that Jesus is making. If, if persistence works for the ungodly, how much more does it work for those who are persistently bringing their requests to God? Persistence is actually really important to God. Are you guys glad that this is important to God? In Galatians 6, 9, it says, let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we don't give up. 
And in Isaiah 40, 31, it says, but those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. These are amazing promises for those who will persistently pursue God. The question is not, does persistence work? It's what will you persist in? There's a lot of good, godly values on display here in the Bay. Um, There's a lot of companies that are massively successful. And whenever I see massive success, I wonder what godly value or principle is at work there. Many of you are incredibly persistent in your work. You work really hard. You commute hours just to get to work so that you can work. That's crazy, right? I mean, I wonder previous generations, if they ever thought, well, they probably did that too. But if you don't have a commute, just keep it to yourself, right? Like some of you are just like, you're like the, the couple that has the newborn that never cries. All your friends are getting no sleep. You, you're getting all this sleep. Just keep it to yourself if you don't have a commute. But you, you're persistent in your work. You're persistent in your parenting. You want the best opportunities for your kids. You're persistent in your health. The Bay Area is one of the healthiest places in the world. I think that's pretty cool. People are persistent about it. But check this out. Jesus tells us to be persistent in prayer. And when he tells us this, what he's saying is, I want to be involved in your work. I want to be involved in your family. I want to be involved in your health. I want to help you. But you've got to be persistent about asking for my help. And this is where we see that struggle. Sometimes when I'm wrestling with something and I, I, I'm wrestling with an idea or a project or something I'm working on, I'll walk away from it and I'll go pray. Like I'll, I'll just go for a walk or, or maybe even a run and I'll ask God for help. And it's incredible. Like it's a shortcut, you guys. It's, a, it's an incredible tool that we can go to God and that, that he'll actually, the idea comes to your head, a solution pops into your head and you're just like, wow. Because you invite God to help. And when you do this, it's incredible. It's incredible in your work. It's incredible in your family. Um, God wants to be involved. Through prayers, you can become a better parent. You can become a better friend. You can become a better spouse. You can become a better leader. And why is that? Because number two, prayer moves God to action. According to Jesus, even an unjust judge who doesn't fear God will be worn out by persistent requests. In the parable, he says, will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones? Cry out to him day and night. Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. See, prayer isn't just a place of comfort. It's not just a time for reflection. It's more than a ritual. It's that the God of the universe hears us. Think about that. He hears us, and it's so wild to consider that he hears our concerns, that he hears our requests, and that, that, that it can actually move him to action, that he'll actually do something. But what about, and this is, I think, the question that most of us ask next, is what about when he doesn't act? What about when he doesn't do what we're asking him to do? In the New Testament, the book of James In chapter 4, it says some interesting things about how we approach God with our requests. And I'm just going to paraphrase it, but he says, you have not because you ask not. And when you do ask, you ask with the wrong motives for your own pleasures. And in this case, people, they were seeking God, but instead of saying, God, your will be done, they were saying, God, my will be done. Kids are really good at these kinds of prayers. I saw a meme the other day. It was like a handwritten kid's prayer. And it said, God, if you'll give me a lamp 
and a genie like in Aladdin, I'll give you everything I have, including my money, except my Star Wars toys. <laughs> so when we grow up, do, do we stop praying prayers like this? If we're honest, we probably don't, right? We, we pray that prayer like, God, if you just bless me with this job or this, this career opportunity, I'll give you so much. Or God, if you help me through this difficult situation, man, I'll commit my life to you. Or, or God, if you just give me this relationship. And even if we know that God cares about our desires, what about when he doesn't move to action? I think a lot of us have had that experience, and so we almost give up on prayer. We stop praying like we should because we just don't know that it's really going to work or that it's going to change much. So maybe you're really persistent, but you're not sure how God's going to respond. I mean, it's kind of intimidating. It really is because he knows infinitely more than us. He's infinitely more powerful. And so we bring this desire to him, and we don't know how he's going to respond. And he doesn't always, his, his desires don't always line up with ours. Yet he encourages us to keep asking. Prayer isn't just a way to get inner peace. It's a way to look at the world and to partner with God and to see what he's doing. So just how important is prayer? How does this play out? Here's an example of how it plays out in our life. Imagine with me that that you're this person, Okay, This is you or I, and we're at a crossroads. And we've got two choices to make, option A or option B. And in this hypothetical situation. I know none of you are at crossroads or making any big decisions in life right now. Anybody? Come on. This is for somebody. So you've got two choices. And let's say they're both good. That's when it really gets hard, right? When they're both good choices, it's not right or wrong. Oh, we have a third. Okay, there goes the punch. Sometimes there is a third option that does not appear until you pray. Because God has designed this world in such a way that there are things in your life that will not happen until you pray, until you ask for his help. And so for those of you who are thinking about this, you're like, well, what does this mean for my theology? Like, what does this mean for my view of the world? Um, This third option really does present a mystery. Because if God is completely in control all the time, if he's always exercising his control, then our actions don't really matter as much, right? In fact, if God's If God's always controlling everything, why pray? But then at the same time, on the other hand, if we really believe that our actions and our prayers can change God's plan, that it can actually change stuff, that would be kind of scary. Because it's I could pray one thing, you could pray another thing, and they could conflict. What if what if we mess up God's plan because he's listening to us? But if both of these things are true, then then we have a lot of reason to be diligent with our lives. We have a lot of reason to pray because we can, we can pray and we can persist and we can ask God for help and know that he hears us and know that it changes things, but that his ultimate plan for good will come to pass. So it's a powerful truth to know that God hears us and that he wants us to talk to him and that when we do, it does in fact change things. Number three, prayer reflects our faith. Jesus told this parable to encourage his disciples to be devoted to prayer because accomplishing God's purposes would mean that they need to pray. God doesn't just want us to work for him. Through his son, we become partners in his mission in this world. And that's amazing. I mean, imagine with me that you have the most incredible business partner. He has all the resources. He has all the connections. And he has great ideas. And that's God. And he's got a handle on everything. And we get to be a part of his plan. We get to work with him. With God, we find a partner in a mission that will have value beyond this life. 
And I believe that there is nothing else that we could invest in that will have value beyond this life other than God's plan. So if you believe that, how might that change your life? How might that change your prayers? I think God's waiting for some people in this community that will align their lives with that truth, that will align their lives with his purpose. I mean, we see it. We have these incredible examples, even at the inception of this church. And we're going to get to that in a little bit. But Romans 10, Paul's praying about something that really mattered to him. And he, he actually had grief and anguish about this. And his prayer was that people's hearts and desires would shift and that they would come to know God. Our prayers have the power to see our family members, to see coworkers, to see people every Sunday in this room, some of you, that have come to know God. That's how powerful our prayers are. So who are you praying that would begin a relationship with Jesus? Imagine a church that prays like hell is real. And whatever your views are on hell, the point is, is that you're not with God. And I, I've never experienced life apart from God, but there's been times where I felt further from him, and it wasn't as good as when I felt close. And so does it stir your heart to think that you have friends and you have people that are living this entire existence apart from God, that don't have what many of you have? The heart of God is moved to action that people would come to know him. So you may not have the gift of evangelism, sharing your faith, maybe way outside your comfort zone. It may be really scary to you. That's OK. But you can pray. You can pray that people will come to know him, that they come to know the love of God. At the end of Colossians, in chapter 4, Paul says something interesting. He says, tell Acrippus, see to it that you complete the ministry you've received in the Lord. And, and this is how the letter ends. He's asking them to complete it. It's a lot easier to start than it is to complete. That's why we honor and respect those who are older, that have been following Jesus for so long, and that have continued to be about the purposes of God, that have continued the ministry, because they've done it over a lifetime. That, that's rare. That's actually not an easy thing to do. So it's an interesting parallel. Jesus ends his parable. Now, Colossians ends with this, this call to continue, to complete the ministry. And then Jesus ended this parable. And he said, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? Will he find people who are still committed? Will he find people who are still praying? Will he find people whose hearts are still moved by the things that move God's heart? See, faith is a language. People who are filled with faith for the things that God's doing in this world, they talk differently. They see things differently. When they get together, when a church is filled with faith, the world's changed. Our community has changed. It's incredible. And, and it might even look crazy at times. It might look like, what, what do you guys, you guys have lost your minds. Like Tom alluded to it a little bit earlier today when we were honoring my dad. Who moves somewhere in their 50s and starts over? completely, like sells your home, no equity, retirement, nothing, doesn't know people, barely, barely getting to know people. And then in three months, we see an incredible miracle. And if you're sticking around after this, I, I'd encourage you to go to the growth track and to hear the story. But that doesn't make sense in the natural. That's, that's not logical. It doesn't add up. It looks foolish. Can I get an amen? amen. <laughs> it looks foolish. But it's not, because when you understand the things that God cares about, God's with you when you, when you act in those ways, when you take those steps in, in those directions. So how do we start? 
How do we begin this journey? How do we activate our faith? What do we pray for? As we close today, I'm going to give a structure for powerful prayers, for powerful prayers. And then we're going to pray together. Because we can talk about what prayer is and how it works and all that stuff. But, but if we don't have a, a, an ability or if we don't have a structure of how we can do this, then we're not going to experience more of the power of prayer in our lives. So the first thing that we need to know about praying powerful prayers is, number one, surrender the request to God's will. I don't think any of us start off thinking, I'm, I'm just going to pray some selfish prayers today, or you know, today it's just about me and what I want, God, and tomorrow it can be about, about you. No, uh, but when we start with saying, God, from the very beginning, as I come before you with these requests, I'm going to say that I want your will. And that's how Jesus taught us to pray. He said, thy, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. He's saying, ultimately, I know that what matters most is what you are doing and what you want. So we bring these desires to God. But what we want is him to answer our prayers in a way that is in agreement with his will. And then number two, express the reasons that you think God should answer your prayer. And I really like this one because it's so practical. Uh, we, we often don't do this. But if you think about it, I mean, God created us to be relational beings, right? When you ask someone for help, when you ask a friend or, or when you ask your spouse to help you with something, and maybe it's a big favor, usually you have some reasons, right? Usually you tell them why. So being able to communicate to God why you think that what you're asking for is the best thing is really practical, and it even helps you work through what you're asking for, what you're requesting. Many older Christian writers talk about arguing with God in prayer. And it doesn't mean that they thought that their way or, or what they're thinking was better than God's. It means that by arguing, they're telling God why what they think seems to be for the best in light of who they know God to be and in light of what they know about his plan. So what in scripture moves the heart of God? What grieves him? And what does he want in this world? This is the difference between praying, God, I just pray that you know my son or my daughter gets into this college because I went to this college, and that's where I want them to go, and that's the one I think will be best, versus, hey, God, I actually think that you know where my son or daughter should go to college. And I think you know the perfect school, that they're going to be a light on that campus, and that their path is going to take them in the direction that you want them to go, because you know what's best for their life. See the difference in that? This helps us revise. It helps us deepen our passion for certain prayers and even lessen um, our desires for things that maybe don't line up with God's purposes. And the other thing it does is when you pray this way and, and, and you share with God the reasons and you connect them to his purposes, it really does feel like you're giving him the weight of your requests. It really feels like you're putting it in his hands. So number three, voice out loud that you are at peace with God's response. Explicitly tell God, say, God, if you will something different, then I want that. And if you have a hard time bringing your request to God and saying that and really telling him, I'm OK if you don't give me this because you have something different or something better in mind, if that's a hard thing to do, really what that does is it tells us that there's something in our heart that's become too important. There's something in, in our heart that may be against God's will. It might even have become an idol. And so this process, it really reshapes our hearts towards the will of God. And ultimately, what we need to remember is that we have the greatest thing in God himself. Number four, 
Lastly, consider what you need to do for the prayer to be answered. Um, See, we need to ask ourselves, what might need to change in me that God could answer this prayer? To some degree, uh, a lot of our requests would be answered if we made some changes in our lives. And so when we connect our requests to uh, our lives and we think about those changes, it's really powerful because it, it, it grows us. It matures us. See, if, if you're, it's like if you're praying for a job, but you haven't done the training and you're not willing to prepare for that job, well, how's God going to answer that prayer? Or if you're praying for a husband or a wife, but you haven't done the work of becoming the kind of person that you'd want to date, then how's God going to answer that prayer? Or, or if you want to get closer to God, and you pray that on Sunday, and at the end of, you know, end of a gathering, and you're, you're worshiping, and you're praying, you're like, God, I want to be closer. But then, you, but then you don't spend time with him again till next Sunday. Or you don't make the time to join a home church, to get into community, to, to read your Bible. You know, James is very clear. It says, draw near to God, and he'll draw near to you. God is always interested in relationship with you. So I'm going to invite the band to come out um, as, we, as we close this morning. And we're going to have a time to pray. But I want to tell you about something exciting that starts today. Today, we're beginning 21 days of prayer. We want to be in prayer throughout this upcoming vision series. We've got these wristbands in the back that you can grab. And we're going to wear them for these next few weeks. And they're a reminder of the vision that we're praying and that that we're hearing from God for our church. But they're also a reminder to pray every day. Because we want to pray that the will of God would be done in our community, and that the will of God would be done in our valley. And so coming up, we've got 21 days of prayer starting today. We're going to be praying every day. And and there's some really exciting ways that we're going to tangibly bring hope to our community. We can't wait to tell you about those next Sunday, November 5th. We've got the vision series, part one, two, and three. And then we're going to end with a seek night, a time for worship and prayer as a church on November 19th. Do you guys love worshiping with our band? Isn't it great? So we're going to come together and pray. We're going we're gonna to submit this, this vision and these plans that God has given us. So I'm going to invite you to stand with me right now. And I'm just going to pray before we transition into worship. God, I pray for your will in our lives. I pray that, that our desires and your desires would be one that we would be fully aligned with what you are doing here in this community, in our world, that we would become more like you, that we would have supernatural peace, that our attitudes would be, would be more like yours, and that we would experience the power of prayer. I pray this week as we talk to you and as we bring requests to you, as we follow this, this, this process, that, you would, that we would find so much more than we might have been expecting. In Jesus' name, amen.